Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We're going to get into the Bible. And so I've got a message today from Ephesians chapter one. Uh, We're going to look at a couple of verses, uh, verse three, then verse four, and then we're going to go to some other places in scripture as well to help make better sense of these. Um, But if you're taking notes today, and I hope you all are, the title of my message very creatively is The Chosen. That was a joke. That's nothing creative about that. Y'all understand that. (laughs) Uh, the chosen. And uh, I, I, yeah, when I thought of this text, I thought of this title and I'm not thinking of uh, primarily the, uh, the Jesus series that's out. I have not seen it. So I'm not even really promoting that. It's just, okay, like that, that's the perfect title for this message because that's what we're going to talk about today. Everybody say the chosen. Today, I'm going to talk about you. If you're in Christ, the chosen. So can, can we just lift our hands like this and let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, I pray today that you would open up our hearts and our minds. Lord, this truth of who we are in you, ultimately, it will not be revealed through flesh and blood, but only by you, only by your spirit. And so we lift our hands to you symbolically, our hearts to you, and we surrender all that we have, all that we are. God, we, we lay our understanding on the altar and we pray that you would give us the ability supernaturally, not from the flesh, not from the natural man, but Lord, from heaven, the ability to not only understand these words I'm going to preach today, but Lord, to cherish them and to treasure them above all. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that is at work in our lives. We thank you. Those of us who are in Christ, we are the chosen. And we thank you for that great, glorious, awesome truth. And so Lord, come today, do what only you can do. Come on, stretch your hands as high as you can, like you're just plugging into heaven. Lord, we look to you. We need you desperately this morning. So come and show off. Come, Holy Spirit, show Jesus off to us today. Show off the Father to us. Help us see you, God, for who you clearly are. And it's in Jesus' incredible name, everyone said, amen. All right, well, are y'all ready to get in the word? If you're ready, say ready. All right, well, if you recall from last Sunday, we looked at, well, really one verse, okay? We looked at some others in some detail, but primarily we looked at one verse. It was Ephesians chapter one, verse three. And here it is up on the screen. I wanna read it one more time. Uh, If you recall, Paul wrote in this verse to the Ephesians to remind them about the blessing, or maybe I should say blessings that they had in Christ. And and here's what Paul says to the Ephesians. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our, you say with me, Lord Jesus Christ, who has, watch this y'all, blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, where? In the heavenly places. Now, if you remember from last Sunday, I said that the Ephesians, they of course lived in Ephesus, but their real address was not In Ephesus, their real address was in Christ, meaning in relationship 
with him. So wherever you live, I know you've got your address, you've got your zip code, but I'm here to remind you this morning that your real true address is not that. If you're in Christ, your real address, well, it's in Christ, in relationship with God through him. And let me say it this way, your real address is in heaven. Paul says our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. Okay. And so we live on the earth, just like the Ephesians live in the earth. But listen, let me say it again. We are in the world, but we are not what? Of the world. We live here. Perhaps you live in Lafayette. You're, you're in it, but you're not of it, right? We, we are those who we, we thank God for the blessings of the culture here in Lafayette and the surrounding areas. But ultimately, our zip code, our address, and ultimately our allegiance is in Christ and we give it all to Christ. Can I get an amen today? Because you know that's true of you. So in Christ, okay, that, that's the address, so to speak, that we're dealing with in this letter. And so the blessings that Paul writes about, well, they're not material in nature. Though we should thank God, shouldn't we, for every material blessing. How many of y'all are thankful for the air conditioning this morning? Which is super strange in January. Um, that the AC's on. But anyway, come on. How many of y'all thank God for heat and for, uh, for, for the air conditioning we have, for the comfortable seats that you're in, for the building that we have? Nine or 10 of y'all, what about the rest? Are y'all thankful? Okay, all right. But y'all know, y'all know this. We don't have to have the building. We don't have to have the seats. We could go out in the middle of a field in the rain and still be the church of the living God because the, the church is, well, it's people, right? It's not the building. But how many of y'all are thankful we're not out in the rain today? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, with that said, we thank God for material blessings. We thank God for physical blessings. We thank God for the things that we receive from God here, here below that are from below in that regard. But, but ultimately, Paul's not addressing that stuff, okay? Although that stuff is, is fine. Ultimately, he's talking about spiritual blessings that are ultimately found where? In Christ, in heaven, that we have some access to now. How many of y'all know, for believers, this is, I'm, talking, I'm talking to you, if you're in Christ, the best is yet to come. No matter how bad your life is now, in Christ, like circumstantially, I, I don't know, of course, what your life entails and the details of your life, what, what all that entails. Your life could involve a lot of suffering a lot of heartache from circumstances in your life beyond your control. But I know that in Jesus Christ, the forecast spiritually for you is extremely bright and you have every spiritual blessing in him and through him. That is truly if you're in relationship with Jesus. Come on, can I get an amen today? It's, it's just that good and even better than we could imagine, okay? And so Paul, Paul is just getting right into this in Ephesians 1 and, and he wants this, his own audience to know just how blessed they are. And I want to remind you today in Christ of just how blessed you are. You have treasure in heaven. You have an inheritance in heaven. And so if we're anything like Paul and we should be, we should do what he does here in verse three. He says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He blesses God for the blessing that is in his life and in the lives of the Ephesians. So I, I said it this way last Sunday, here Paul blesses God, the blesser, for the blessings in his life. And how many of y'all know that's what we're called to do? We are called to bless God for the blessings in our lives, knowing that as believers, I've said this before, let me say it again, because I have the gift of repeat. Are you ready? 
listen carefully. If you're in Christ and you consider yourself blessed, that's not luck. That's not chance. That's because a good God decided to be good to you freely by his grace. So we shouldn't use words like luck, chance. I mean, that, that's not uh, fitting in a Christian worldview. Y'all understand? You've got a good, good father. You've got a great father, the best father who determined to bless you. And so Paul, he's just doing that. He's blessing God. He's praising God for the blessings in his life and in the lives of the Ephesians. And so with that said, we're going to look in more detail for the next several hours we have. I'm teasing first time guests. It won't be that long. We're going to look in more detail at what these blessings involved. And so here in Ephesians 1, 4, please look at this carefully with me. Let this challenge the heck out of you. But more than anything, I, I want what I'm about to read and what I'm about to preach. Uh, I want it to provoke a higher sense of praise in your life. That is what this verse and the ones to come are designed to do, to inspire you. We can say it this way, to go deeper in the deeper of our, in our knowledge of God and the deeper we go, the higher our praise should be. So are y'all ready for this? Are y'all ready for a mind blowing truth? All right, here we go. Here's what Paul says. Here's the blessing. The first one, even as God chose us, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and what? Blameless before him. That's the first part of this spiritual blessing that Paul speaks about here. And this blessing, very simply, if you're taking notes, the blessing is that God chose the Ephesians in Christ and he did it before. Everyone say before. Not in the world, but before the, the foundation of the world. In eternity past, God chose you. He chose the Ephesians. And everyone who will ever believe, God chose us in him. That's the blessing. That's where it starts. And, you know, this, this topic of choosing, it's a touchy one, isn't it? For some people. Maybe when I talk about choosing, maybe it takes you back to, for, for you, to, to grade school. Uh, maybe you're on, you remember, you have memories of being on the playground and not being picked. <laughs> right? Me too. <laughs> um, or for some of you, you're like, yeah, I was picked because I was the man or I was the woman, whatever. I mean, this can go either direction depending upon your experience, Right? But if you remember back, at least for me, I'll say back in grade school, uh, there were two, uh, at least two self-appointed captains who at recess would uh, choose their teammates. And uh, how many of y'all like you're super competitive? Let me see your hands. Like you get in the flesh, you're so competitive. Be honest. Come on, you're playing checkers with your spouse and World War III and the spirit breaks out. Let me see your hands. You're competitive. Okay, thank you, thank you. My wife is that way. Where is, uh, I can say she's not here. Uh, she's super competitive and wants to win at everything. How many of y'all, you can't stand to lose? You gotta win, you gotta win, even if you cheat. Come on, Christian. No, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. No, don't cheat. But I remember okay, these team captains in choosing their teams, of course, in doing so, what was the, what, what did they look for? They wanted the ones who were what? The best, right? 
the best football players to be on their team. Why? Because, of course, if you have the best, you're going to do what? You're going to win. Like, I, I can't remember any team captain ever that's ever looked out and said, you know what? Um, I'm going I'm to go with the worst possible choices. <laughs> and I, I'm going to choose people I know that are going to lead us to a defeat. Of course, nobody, nobody does that. When captains choose their teammates, they choose the what? What do you choose? The the best. Okay. That's the way most of us rightly think when it comes to sports and to certain things in life. But we have to make sure that we don't take our ways of thinking and impose them upon God. Because we choose upon that basis, but according to the passages I'm about to read, well, God chooses uh, upon different Bases, I should say. So look, look at here in Deuteronomy 7. I could give you many scriptures. Let me give you just this one before we go further into Ephesians. Here, here's what the word of God says. Deuteronomy 7, beginning here in verse 6. The Lord God has chosen you, speaking about the people of Israel, to be a people for his what? Come on, say it out loud. For his treasured possession. So that, that's what they're, they're chosen for. But look at this. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Verse 7. Notice this. It was not. Everybody say not. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the what? The fewest of all peoples. But it is. Verse 8. Because the Lord does what? The Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now notice here, the language is so crystal clear. God did not choose Israel because they were the greatest, because they were the most numerous, because on the contrary, they were what? They're the least, they're the fewest in number. So he's making it clear, listen, I didn't choose you on the basis because if you just look at who y'all are and the number of, you know, how many y'all are, well, it couldn't be on that. And, and here it's clear, the scriptures are clear that God chose Israel, not because of anything in particular about them or what they could do or their number. We're told here it was strictly on the basis of his love that he chose them. Now, let me help y'all. Some people want to fight this. Some people want to go all the way around this. God wants us to go straight to it and just embrace it. That if you are in Christ today, if you are a believer in him, if you are picking up your cross daily, following him, not perfect, but you're living a different holy life of faith. If that's the case, then you are the chosen people of God. I'm talking about if you're in him, you're the chosen people of God. Why did he choose you? I mean, I've wondered that. Like before I really got into this 20 years ago, like before I really got into the details, I'm like, why would God choose someone as jacked up as me? Knowing all the worst things. Y'all know that about God? He knows all the worst things about you before you even do them. And he still loves you anyway. Isn't that amazing? Now, we, we oftentimes love people and, and like people as long as, well, they're not irritating us, right? Or as long as there's no gross discovery about who they are or what they've done. Oftentimes, we love people on a very conditional basis, don't we? 
unfortunately. But the truth is, let me back out of that and let me just say this about God. God saw your mess before the world was created. He did not choose you. He did not choose me because we were the best, because we were the brightest. God loves those people too. But it wasn't upon that basis. It was surely, purely because he loves us. <laughs> I mean, that's it. No, I guess there are more. He loves us. Can't you just get over it? He loves you in Christ. And this is, this is something that goes back to before the foundation of the world. He chose us in love before we were here. Paul says in Ephesians 1.4, let me say it again. Paul says that God chose the Ephesians in Christ before the foundations of the world, meaning that we were in the mind, and let me say it this way, figuratively speaking, we were in the heart of God in eternity past. Let me say it a different way. God has been thinking about you a lot longer than you've been thinking about him. God has been loving you in Christ a lot longer, in eternity past, a lot longer, that's an understatement, before you ever decided to love him. Now, I hear the objections. I can see them in your heads. But, but I chose God. But I chose him. Yes, we choose God. But only because he first chose us. Of course you chose him. But because he first chose you. And you say, but I have a free will. And I'm like, okay, let's back up and talk about this. Yes, you make real decisions with your will. You willed to get up today to come here, didn't you? Obviously, yes. Or maybe there's some of you got dragged here against your will. I don't know. But for the most, for the most part, you willed to come here. I get it. And I make all kinds of decisions every day based on my desires, based on uh, my ability to choose. But listen, here's what the Bible says. Apart from Christ... We were slaves to sin. We were slaves to unrighteousness. We are dead in sin, in bondage to sin. And so the only thing that you can freely do apart from Christ is sin, truly. Even the decisions you made apart from Christ that seem to be good, well, I mean, we're in bondage to sin. That's what we freely do, right? But when Jesus sets you free, what does he say? He whom the Son sets free will be free in what? Indeed. How many of you know when you meet Jesus, the Spirit opens up your heart, you believe the gospel, and, and Jesus sets you free so that you freely say yes to him. Yeah. You say yes because God did a work in your heart, changed your heart, took out a heart of stone, gave you a heart of flesh. That is a pliable, moldable, soft heart so you can say yes to the living God. So you're in Christ today, but never forget why you are. It's not because you first chose him, it's because God first chose you. And we thank God for his amazing grace. And I don't have to reconcile God's predestinating grace and power with our free choices. Charles Spurgeon said there's no need uh, to reconcile friends. Somehow these work together. I don't know totally how it works, but shouldn't we just give God praise for the fact we're in him? We're no longer in the world. We're no longer in bondage. We're no longer in addiction, but we're in him. Paul wants us to praise God for this huge truth. Now, the question is how do you know if you are chosen? 
Some of you are wondering, Pastor Scott, that's great preaching, but how do I know that I'm actually chosen? How do I know if I'm truly in him? Let me take you to 1 Thessalonians quickly. Check it out. 1 Thessalonians 1.4. Listen to what Paul says. Paul, Paul is so good, inspired by the Spirit. He, he, he is just going after every objection, every question that could come about this. Here's what he says to the Thessalonians. For we know, brothers, love. Look at that. You see it? What? Love by whom? That, that he, that God has chosen you. Verse 5. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power. Everybody say power. And in the Holy Spirit, and with what? Full conviction. Now here, I think Paul is addressing both the delivery of the message and the reception of the message. So he's saying that the word came, but not merely. The gospel came not merely in word. It's got to come that way, right? Whether in written or oral form, it's got to come somehow. But it wasn't just, you know, a word or words that just kind of came out. No, when Paul preached the gospel, that message came with power. That message came in the Holy Spirit. And that message was delivered with full what? Conviction. People say, Pastor Scott, why are you so hype when you preach? I can't help it. Woe is me if I ever get up here and preach a milk toast, half-baked, uh, passionless gospel. Listen, the gospel should be the driving truth of our lives that we are, I mean, come on, we get excited at football games. I've seen some of y'all. You get excited when you go watch your favorite team play. People paint their bodies. They yell at the top of their lungs. They pay big money. Listen, all God asks for is 10%. <laughs> Listen, they could, we go to stadiums. We give money, the best seats in the house, food, partying, all that for a football team. Listen, when we understand the God we serve and what he's done for us, what he has prepared for us, we should go regularly nuts for God. Our, our mouths, our lips, and our lives should be lived with passion, shouldn't they? And you don't have to be loud like me. I'm not saying that per se, but there, there should be praise in your heart. It should come out of your mouth. You should be, you should be people, we should be people full of life, of the Holy Spirit, and we should live lives with full conviction. Well, Paul preached that way. He preached that way. And his audience knew it. And they benefited from it. Because it wasn't just how the word was delivered. As mentioned, it was how the word was received. So it's not just about me being a good preacher. It's about you being a good listener and a good receiver. Y'all catching this? Y'all catching the word? I'm going deep. To receive the word. How? Not just as a word, but with power in the Holy Spirit. And I love this last part, with full conviction. Meaning, when the word is received, it's not partial conviction, just a, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. It's like when God comes in this way through his word, he puts his finger on anything and everything that is creating distance between you and him. And y'all know what it feels like. Some of y'all do. When full conviction comes, 
you're like, oh, Lord, he just put his finger on an area of my life or maybe my entire life that has been given over to the things of the world. When you feel, when you experience that full conviction, it's that good angst in your soul, isn't it? You know something's wrong. You know something's off. But God's conviction doesn't leave you there. God's conviction empowers you to turn from there and to leave that darkness to go into the light. Isn't that what happened when you got saved? Let me help you. Hopefully, that's your experience because if it wasn't, you might not have gotten saved. Power in the Holy Spirit. Watch this, full conviction. And then look at what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1, 8 through 10. He says, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but look, look at this. But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say what? Anything. Verse nine, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And oh, this is so good. And how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So in other words, they heard the word. They believed the word. And in doing so, they turned and forsook every idol, every false god that they had worshiped. If you have done that, and if you are doing that, then you can rest assured in those nice, comfortable seats you're sitting in that you are the chosen of God. Paul says, let me read it again. We know that God has chosen us. He says in particular, you Thessalonians, because the gospel came to you, not only in word, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with, with full conviction. And the full conviction led to a new direction in life. Now, I'm not saying you have to be perfect. I'm not saying that you will never fall or be tempted. Of course, you will in varying degrees. What I'm saying is that God makes us into new creations in Christ. And new creations by the power of the Spirit do new things. That's what I'm saying. That the evidence that you're really God's, the evidence that you're chosen, is that you believe the word, you trust his word, and then you are constantly in this passionate pursuit of following him and along the way, being very careful to forsake every idol that would want to grab a hold of you and everyone that you would want to grab a hold of along the way. You cannot have the pleasures of sin and the presence of God. At least you can't enjoy both at the same time. Let me say that again. If you're going to serve the Lord, you can't enjoy the pleasures of sin and the presence of God at the same time. You have to give up the, what? What? The pleasure of sin to experience the true pleasure of the presence of God. And Paul here is at work to get them to this, it's really encouragement to say, you know you're chosen. God's done this in you. And here's the evidence. Look, earlier we sang the evidence is all, the evidence of this is all around here. Because hey, people talk about the church, you know, and that can be for really good or for really bad. I hate it when people overstate their case. I hate it when I do that. 
People say, well, the church today, it's this and it's that. I'm like, well, I can't speak for the whole church, but I can speak for what God's doing in this church. And what I'm saying is God, by his spirit, lead us to repentance and to you are a Christian who should be in the idol smashing business. Make some cards and hand them out. We are seeing idols smashed. We're seeing Jesus' lordship extolled. I'm seeing with my very own eyes lives being transformed right before us. Revival is not just something to come, y'all. Revival is here. It's here. I'm seeing it. And we want more of it, don't we? Can I get an amen? We want more? Let me jump back to Ephesians. We're going to get ready to land the plane. What are y'all laughing at? All right, look at this. We're, we're getting there. Watch this. Y'all, y'all have been awesome. Check it out. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. In these verses, Paul goes on to unpack for the Ephesians what this blessing consists of. Listen to what he says, beginning in verse 4. In love, there it is again, in love, he predestined That is, he determined beforehand, our destiny beforehand. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. Don't don't read this too quickly. As sons, and by implication, ladies, you're involved in this. As sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of whose will? Say it again. Whose will? Okay, just make sure we're, we're following the text. To the praise of whose glorious grace? His. With which he has blessed us in the beloved. Who is Paul giving the credit to? Who? Definitely not to the Ephesians. To God. And I love the language here. He says, in love, God adopted them and by implication us into the family through Jesus Christ. Wow. You know, you're all adopted. You're all adopted sons and daughters of the most high God. And we can sit around and just praise God. And that can just go, woo. It has for me before. I've read it before and it's like, okay, I got to get a refill of coffee early in the morning to read my Bible. There have been times this text has not hit me the way that it should have hit me. If my heart was right, my ears, my spiritual ears were open. In love, he predestined you to be adopted into his family. I shared this with the first service. You know, I love Cajun culture. I mean, it's so unique. We have these unique things, don't we, here locally, um, especially with respect to food. And let me, can, I, can, I, can I talk about something that really brought the joy of the Lord into my life through Cajun culture the other day? My wife brought home this king cake that must have just fallen out of heaven. <laughs> now, king cake, that, that's a local thing, right? By the Louisiana thing. If I were to go into Montana, and talk about what I just talked about, people would look at me like I was extremely out of my mind, wouldn't they? Right? It's a silly example, but it's illustrative of the point that it's so important to understand what words mean in their context. 
If you are living in Ephesus when Paul wrote and Paul addresses this topic of adoption to you and you're there. Well, today when I say adoption, you have your own categories, don't you? The way you think of, about adoption. Uh, raise your hand if you were adopted. Then you know firsthand. Raise your hand if you have adopted. Let me see your hands. Well, then you know what that involves. And in Paul's day, in the Ephesians day, same thing, of course. It was just a part of the culture. And so in, in, in Rome, in, in a Roman context, here's the way that adoption worked. There's more to it, but here's the essence of it. That a biological father would symbolically sell his son to the adopting father, symbolically. He would sell and then purchase back, sell. This would, this would take place three times. After that, the fourth time, the final time, then the transaction was complete. And watch what happened. That son who was transferred from his biological father and from that family to a new father and a new family, watch, received brand new rights in his new family. His debt, all that he obtained, all that he acquired debt under his old father was wiped out. And therefore, when he was adopted officially into his new family, guess what he was? He was debt-free, baby. And he not only lost old rights, but he gained new rights. And he gained access, legal access, to his father's estate and his father's inheritance. Are y'all with me? Now, when Paul talked about adoption to the Ephesians and said, in love, he predestined you through Jesus Christ to be sons automatically like you do today for the cultural categories we have today, they at that time would think about Roman adoption. And they would think about the back and forth and the final release. They would think about the fact that in adoption, the son's debt was canceled. And then they would rightly go to this next level. In Jesus Christ, your debt is canceled. Your debt is paid. The curse is canceled. Your sins have been paid for and you have everlasting right to the father's estate. Without hindrance, without being you know, challenged or sued, you've got full legal access to every good thing the father has to offer you. Oh, hallelujah, y'all. And you haven't received it all just yet, have you? But you have the Holy Spirit who's a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. So your life may be horrible this year and years to come. I hope that's not the case. But I have an uncle right now who is dying. He has cancer in his brain, in his liver, in his lungs. And how many of y'all know cancer strikes great people who love God? Great people in that sense. I know Jesus said no one's good, but I, you understand. People who love God. People who are serving God. And I don't know how much longer he's going to live. Please, please pray for him. His name is Rick. Rick Adams. Would y'all pray for him? I believe God still does miracles. But the greatest miracle, as far as we know, has happened in his life. Because my dad called him. And my dad's weeping. He's like, Dad. He said, he said son, I, I, I can't save him. I said, no, you can't. But I know someone who can, and his name is Jesus. Your job is not to change his heart. Your job is just to share the truth and then let God do his work. And as far as he could discern, my uncle Rick believes in Jesus. And I pray with all that I have within me that we will see him in heaven.
Y'all know one day we're going to get to heaven. Y'all know one day we're going to get to heaven. And we're probably going to look around and be like, we're going to see some people be like, how'd you get here? (laughs) Right? We're going to look at people like that and they're going to look at us and same thing. How'd you get here? Answer, only because of the predestinating grace and mercy of Almighty God. Because he elected us and he selected us, he chose to adopt us as sons. I think it was R.C. Sproul that said that only as a slave to Jesus can we be truly free. In him we find true freedom. And if you're not free today, may the Holy Spirit grant you freedom today by virtue of the work of the spotless Lamb of God. May the work of the cross be applied to your life. May the work of the Holy Spirit regenerate you, change you, sanctify you, break old paradigms. May the Spirit of God awaken the dead in this place right this very minute. Y'all know that's what he does, right? Let me wrap up. We've all heard people talk about this word fate. Gotta have faith to faith to faith. No, that's a different song. <laughs> Not faith, fate. Have you ever used that word? You have, haven't you? You've heard people use the word fate? I can't believe I just sang that. George, was that George Michaels? I'm like, where did that come from? Clearly not the spirit. Um, we'll take that out of the audio, Taylor. Make sure that's omitted. Um, but we, we know what we mean, right? When we talk about fate, don't we? And there may be a little imprecision, but most of us understand what it is. Um, we, we, we think about fate, things that happen to us that we think are beyond our control, right? Events that take place. And it could be for good, it could be for bad. And when it happens, sometimes people are like, man, I, I didn't even see that coming. I guess this is just my, what? Fate. Raise your hand if you remember the movie and you've seen the movie Back to the Future. Okay? If you haven't, watch the one made for TV. Because the other one has way too many curse words in it. The one for TV, thumbs up. Okay, I'm not even recommending you go watch it. But those of you who've seen it, a lot of y'all have seen it. You remember? Let me see your hands again. Let me see your hands. Back to the future. Okay. Do y'all remember the scene? Marty goes back. Marty McFly. Remember Marty? Say, what does Marty McFly have to do with Paul? I'm going to show you. (laughs) Marty goes back. His dad, who who remembers his dad's name? George George McFly. Do y'all remember the scene? George goes into the restaurant. Marty's there. Lorraine, George's future wife, is at the table. You remember this? And, And George is super awkward. You know, he goes over to the table and... Uh, introduces himself in so many words and he enters into the conversation. If you remember, he looked at Lorraine and girls sit beside her. He looks at Lorraine and he said, yes, I'm George. I'm George McFly. (laughs) Was that nerdy enough? He said, I am your density. I mean, destiny. (laughs) Y'all remember that? You can YouTube it later. What was he saying? Like, I'm here to be a part of your life and you're to be a part of my life. Like this was what? Meant to? This was meant to be. Well, in the ancient world, 
people, understandably so, when they heard the word, you know, in their language, translated as, basically, come across as fate, okay, they would think of fate as, well, ultimately something that was fixed, right? Isn't that what we think of? It just happens. Like, you can't, you can't fix it or change it. It's just fate, right? But there are others in the ancient world who believe that fate could be altered, which kind of gives us a new meaning of fate, doesn't it? That fate was not final. That's how some thought. And the idea among many in Ephesus was that fate could be altered through magic and through the worship of deities in the heavens, and particularly one that had come to the earth that they worship named Artemis. And so the idea was, okay, here's my fate as I perceive it. Here's my life as I perceive it. There were many who thought, well, in order to break the chains of this fate called my life, well, I know what to do. And listen to what Clinton Arnold, a scholar, a New Testament scholar says about this topic. This is huge. Please stick with me. We're almost done. Listen to what he says. He says, and I quote, the known planets were named after deities. In fact, he writes, we still refer to the planets by their Roman names, Venus, Aphrodite in Greek, Mars, Aries, Mercury, which is Hermes, and so on. He says, the spirits of heroes who had died on earth were also believed to continue existing in ether form, populating the heavens and constituting what we know today as the Milky Way. He writes, because the planets and stars were seen as deities, they were capable of being prayed to, invoked, propitiated, and even manipulated, end quote. What is he saying? Well, if you remember, if you remember last Sunday, I talked about the worship of Artemis. Remember, y'all, context is everything. Many of the Ephesians worship this goddess named Artemis. And she was known for many things throughout the ancient world, but locally in Ephesus, she was the goddess of fertility. Would it be right and okay to say she was the goddess of blessing? I think so. And so many in Ephesus would look to her as the one who had the power to change or to break their fate, the chains that were holding them. Listen to what Arnold goes on to say. And I quote, he writes, a beautiful marble cult statue of the Ephesian Artemis dating back to the second century AD, for example, depicts the female goddess wearing the signs of the zodiac as a necklace. It is likely that this artistic rendering was a method of portraying Artemis as having power and authority over those astral signs. The goddess Artemis might therefore benevolently exercise her control over those forces for the good of her devotees. Now, do you see where he's going with this? You're in Ephesus. You don't like your life. You don't like your fate as you perceive it. Well, there's hope. A false hope, I would say. But there was a perceived hope. That all we have to do is worship and give our loyalty to Artemis, and Artemis can change the trajectory of our destinies. How many of y'all know, 
that must have been a very powerful industry. Let me take it to today. And by industry, I mean that stuff sold. (laughs) I mean, who hasn't in life said, I can't believe this is my life. I can't believe this is what I'm dealing with. I can't believe this is my perceived destiny. Who ha- has anyone here never been? You've never been discontent with your life? Has anybody ever said, I mean, have, we've all have, haven't we? We've all been discontent. Is it, have you not done that? I want, I want to know who you are. I want to meet you and get the, the success secrets of how. But we've all been there. They were there in their minds and they had access to. Well, it's like magic, right? This false goddess worship. But but listen, this is the culture of the day. But Paul would have none of it. And today, there are a couple applications. Let me help you with this one. Tarot card reading, psychics, seeking your destiny apart from Jesus is a very, very dangerous thing. Do y'all receive that in love? Because I don't want anyone telling me anything about my destiny unless they are in Christ, filled with his word and filled with his promises. And so let me contextualize it and kind of be a little silly, but to make the point, Paul didn't need to get his palm read because he was well aware of the palms that bled. Jesus died to break him and the Ephesians free from their destinies, which were eternal destruction apart from Jesus. Do you see how this must have landed to them? Thank you, Clinton Arnold, for giving us background information. Do you see what must have been going on in their minds when he wrote about predestination? When they, when they, when they received this word, they're like, oh, we got it. I mean, we got it anyway. But thank you, Paul, that our destinies are not fixed to the heavenly stars. I've written it this way. Paul writes to the Ephesians to remind them that their destiny is determined by God's plan, not by the planets. Their destiny was not in the stars, but in the Son, S-O-N, Jesus Christ. And he wants them to have rock-solid assurance that being in Christ was not just something temporary. Being in Christ was their density. I mean, say it with me destiny. Listen, if you're in Christ, this is your density. I mean, destiny, isn't it? And I think about all the people that fight against this, but I chose him, but I, but I, Paul will have none of that in these opening verses. It's not about what we do and we do have responsibility. Yes, we do. I'm going to get to that. But for now, for today, can we let the word of God be preached? Will you receive it in its context? And will you receive it and turn and give God praise for it that he chose us in him in eternity past? He did it. And Paul makes it clear. 
that all of this was according to the purpose of his will, verse five. And all of this is to the praise of God's glorious grace.